0: You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. I want to tell you three stories, and these stories are rooted in the time of Paul. And it's a story that talks to us about taking hold of a life that is real, a story of common life. We begin with Eliezer. Eliezer was a husband and father of three. He was a part of the Jerusalem middle class. He worked as a craftsman and by his trade and specialized in the production of dye. Cloth dye. He and his family recently converted to Christianity after discovering that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Messiah. And living as a Christian in his day is not easy. His mother is beaten and she's barely holding on to life. His family is persecuted in ways he never imagined because of their faith and largely due to their own Jewish countrymen. There's a cost to following Jesus for Eleazar and his family. But he believes that no matter the price, that it's a price worth paying. Because he's come to believe that God's grace and love has been revealed to him and to the whole world through Jesus Christ who is the King of Kings and that kind of love demands his devotion. But as if persecution isn't enough there's a great famine in the land right now and the farms aren't producing like they used to on top of that jerusalem's overpopulated there's not enough food for everybody but he's committed to the common life and fellowship in the spirit and so are the churches there and and so the churches commit to taking care of one another the best they can and they commit to taking care of other starving jews outside of the church Because they know that taking care of one another and others is the way of Jesus. Even though there's not enough to go around. Eleazar is a hard working man. But due to the famine, business is slower than normal and money is tight. And unfortunately the Roman tax code isn't changing in his favor. In addition to local taxes. There are no tax cuts on the horizon for Eleazar. And his greatest fear isn't his inability to provide food. His greatest fear is that if he doesn't pay his taxes, the Roman government's going to come and take his children and make them slaves. And that will be his payment. And he would rather, frankly, the whole family be killed than to watch his children become the property of the Roman government. But then there's Agathias. Agathias is a mason. He's a husband of two. He's born in Philippi. And his job as a mason causes him to travel much of the Macedonian region, which is where he lives. And right now, for him, work is really slow. But at least he gets to spend more time with his family versus traveling all the time. Being raised as a Macedonian, he was a worshiper of the 12 Olympian gods, but he first heard about Jesus and this Trinitarian God when Paul and Timothy was visiting Thessaloniki and Timothy specifically was preaching. He was captivated by this Jesus. And Agathias spent several months in Thessaloniki going to the synagogues and listening to these sermons about the Messiah and this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who was actually three in one which was hard to him for him to understand being a worshiper of 12 different gods. And even though Macedonia was made up of largely Greeks and Romans, he had met a a few Jews before, and so their God wasn't completely foreign to him. But it was just difficult for him to comprehend, even after he had surrendered his life to Jesus as Lord, that this God would put skin on And that this God would arrive to humanity and become human, born in a small town in a manger and take on such a common name such as Jesus. And Agathias, now an active member of the fellowship of the kingdom of God and particularly a member of the church in Philippi, he just finds himself captivated by Jesus and he realizes without Jesus as Lord he'd be hopeless. See, hopelessness was the primary currency available in the Macedonian region because Macedonia, too, is undergoing an economic crisis. And almost everyone in Macedonia is poor. Even though Acathias is poor, he knows that Jesus, as his Lord, makes them rich, and this becomes the passion of the Philippian church. They're all poor, but they've committed to sharing in the common life even if it's one of poverty, because their love for God and one another has cultivated a life of joy and peace, and they genuinely feel as though they have been made rich. Well, the Apostle Paul's in town, and he's working with the church in Philippi, and rumor has it Jerusalem's undergoing some serious struggle. And they're suffering from a famine, and the Christian brothers and sisters are suffering from intense persecution. And this captivates Agathias' heart. He's never been to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is half a world away. It's weeks upon weeks of travel. But he can't get over the fact that brothers and sisters in Christ, because for him, religion is life, that these brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering because of their faith. And yet, in his mind, he has it so easy. But yet, even though he has so little in terms of money and things, He knows he has so much in Christ, and so he has to do something. Well, there's a particular teaching that Agathias constantly remembers. He heard it from Timothy when Timothy was preaching in Thessaloniki. And apparently, Timothy had learned it from a letter he received from Paul, and it goes something like this. 1 Timothy 6, 9, But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. They've made their lives more difficult chasing money. You hear that? But you, men of God, run from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good, fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life you were called to and have made a good confession about in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus, who have a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep the command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in His own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the only one who has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, no one has seen or can see him. To him be honor and eternal might on men. Instruct those who are rich. Those who are properly or fully resourced. In the present age not to be high minded. Or to set their mind on the uncertainty of wealth. Which Agathias knows right now is a part of his life. Because there's nothing certain about his wealth. But set their hope on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy, instruct them to do what is good and to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so they may take hold of a life that is real. That phrase is the phrase that captures Agathias every time, to take hold of a life that is real. And that it's tied directly to this spirit of generosity and giving. And that captures Agathias. It it messes with his life. He, He wants to take hold of a life that is real. And he wants to do it in a way that honors Christ. And he knows that in Christ, that if he's just willing to part with the things that he has, what little bit it is, that he won't be owned by those things but that he will indeed be taking hold of a life that is real. A life that is real. A life that leans upon the grace and provision of the God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. And so Agathias knows that he has to do something that would seem unreasonable and even nonsensical since he doesn't have stuff. He's struggling to put food on the table, but he has Christ and at least his family's not suffering persecution for their faith. And it was this teaching from Timothy, this taking hold of, this seizing, this aggressively receiving and pursuing a life that is real, that compelled Agathias to live a life of faith, the kind of faith that worked itself out, listen, in genuine love. And so Agathias heard that Paul was asking all the churches to take up a final collection to be taken to the Christians in Jerusalem. Now, he had not heard this in his worship gatherings in Philippi, and he began to wonder why. So he approached his elders, as we often do when the preacher doesn't preach what we want them to preach. (laughs) And he says, why haven't we heard about the offering that's being taken up for the Christians in Jerusalem? And the elders say, I don't know. But we had heard that Paul was doing that, but he hadn't done it here. And so the elders approached Paul and Paul, Paul, why don't you ask us to do this too? And Paul says, I don't want to trouble you. You guys are having a hard enough time on your own. There's plenty of other churches that can give. Yet they beg, the elders begin to beg, and the Agathias and the leaders of the church begin to beg, Paul, let us give. Macedonia may be made up of some of the poorest congregations in the kingdom. And we may lack the financial resources, Paul, but we have the joy. Let us give. we were a different kind of church. The Corinthian church, on the other hand, was a whole different story. See, the Corinthian church is a difficult and messy church living in a very difficult and messy city. If we don't know, Corinth is a society dominated by the idea of moving upward in social class. Accomplishment and wealth are the items of every day that every Corinthian seeks to pursue. And the Corinthian people pride themselves on self accomplishment. They live, they live for self gratification. And as a result, the church here in Corinth really struggles to be a different kind of society within their society. Because their culture and society is against kingdom ethics, values, and virtues. But they too, the irony is, is they too know about Jerusalem and the famine and the persecution. And they were actually asked by Paul if they would contribute. And though they have their share of poor people within the church, on the whole, they are a wealthy church and they have much to contribute. Yet in their sinfulness, as well as their frustration with Paul they neglect to fully contribute to the needs of the Christians in Jerusalem. So Paul writes him a letter. And he wants to let him know in his second letter that he'd be sending Titus to them shortly. He might even send some Macedonian Christians as well to put skin on the problem. And their purpose would be to collect the money so it could be delivered to the Christians in Jerusalem, to Christians like Eleazar and his family, for example. But Paul, knowing that they need a little bit of encouragement, writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, According to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. It's interesting, the Macedonian Christians would probably never meet the Jerusalem Christians, and yet being half a world away, they knew that God's kingdom had no geographical boundaries and that in Christ they are reconciled to these Christians and that make them fam- that makes them family the thing about the Macedonian churches church is that they knew that they had understood the beauty of God's grace in their life and so giving for them just wasn't really that big a deal even in the face of unemployment and oppressive poverty God's grace was so tangible and so real to the Macedonians that that grace was enough And this reality filled their hearts with joy. And this joy of God's grace, it was their wealth. So they knew they could give to the mission of God. It was a way of participating in God's mission even miles and miles away. And it was their way of joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. And so they gave themselves to the Lord. And Paul goes on in verse 6. And he says, so we urge Titus. That just as he had begun, so he should also complete this grace with you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this grace. I'm not saying this as a command, Paul says. Rather by means of diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ although he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now I'm giving you an opinion on this because it is profitable for you who a year ago began not only to do something but also to desire it. In other words, you started to give this a year ago but now I'm asking you to finish the task that just as there was eagerness to desire it so there may be also eagerness to complete it from what you have. For if the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Paul's trying to say it doesn't matter what you have, it only matters that you give. It is not that there may be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is for their need, so that their abundance may also become for your need, that there may be equality. You understand what Paul is saying there when he talks about the equality between churches even miles away? He's saying we share in a common life even miles away. It's a common life that says when we have much and they have little, we give. And when they have much, we have little, they give. And we care for one another even miles away. Verse 15, as it has been written, the person who gathered much did not have too much, and the person who gathered little did not have too little for Paul this collection illustrated the grace of God both in the lives of the individuals and the life of the church. Paul wants the Corinthian church and even us Williamsburg Christian Church to learn from the Macedonian Christians who made up mostly who were made up mostly of Gentiles yet insistent in their desire to give to the needs of Jewish Christians so that the kingdom of God could become tangible so that grace could become tangible. And so Paul says in verse 24, before the churches, he says, before the churches, show them, say it with me, the proof of your love and of our boasting about you. For Paul, it wasn't enough for them to say, well, we love each other. For Paul, it wasn't enough to say, oh, but we love them. They're our brothers and sisters. We love them in the Lord. Paul says, you need to prove it. Because genuine faith works itself out in genuine love. And genuine love requires me to reckon, to wrestle with the grace of God, to realize that I have the grace of God to live, then I have the grace of God to give. I have been given that grace. And this idea of proving their love by giving financially is consistent with Paul's own call to mission. In Galatians 2, verse 9, he says, When James, Cephas, and John recognized as pillars, the apostles, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me as an apostle, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. Say the word fellowship. Fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to, be, and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. This is consistent with Paul. Giving is what God does. So should it surprise us that it is what God will always call us to do? Giving of our money, giving of our time, giving of our personal wants and desires, giving of our lives. Because I think Paul's getting at something, and I put this on the screen for us to look at for a moment. A measure of whether or not our hearts are truly overcome by God's grace is our willingness to give up our will and wants and freely give to the mission of God. It's a measure of our love. We have a cliche in our society that says, put your money where your mouth is. And in a way, that's sort of true with God when he says, next slide, David, when he says that a measure of our love is drawn up in the idea of what we're willing to give. And so Paul finishes out this letter to the Corinthians and he says something to them in chapter 9, verse 6. Listen, if you will. So remember this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not out of regret, not out of necessity, not out of guilt. For God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make every grace, say every grace. So how much grace? Which grace? Which specific items of grace? Every grace. Overflow. Say overflow. Does it mean just enough? Does it mean almost enough? Does it mean sealed to the top? It means overflow. Like Paul's language is emphatic. God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, does that mean part of the way? Does that mean some of the ways? Does that mean halfway? So that in every way, always having everything you need, you will excel in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness as you are enriched in every way for all generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. So you may have noticed by now this is a giving sermon. (laughs) (laughs) Because as we've talked about this common life, one of the aspects of common life is our money. I'm not that guy who has a problem talking about money. It doesn't matter to me whatsoever because it's just stuff. Money is a resource, but for many of us, money has become the end. Money's a resource. That's all it is. And I have stood up here in the name of Jesus with the support of the eldership and said that no one in this church will ever be on the street. As long as the Ligon family has a room, or Jim Golder has a room, or this church building has an open building, no one in this church will ever be on the street. And that's how God lives out His promise. is when His people take seriously the idea that the grace of God will overflow and always richly give us everything we need. But what that requires is that we as Christians be willing to part with our money. That we are willing to say that our money doesn't own us. And that the things that we want and have lived for all of our lives aren't the things we're going to actually live for anymore. We're going to be rich in generosity so that we may take hold of a life that is real. See, the reality of this church here is not only do we need to fill the life together with people caring for the children, with people involved in Life Connection Groups, with people involved in the prayer and careful one another, the reality of us churches we need to fill in the gaps of the finances within our own church family. Now, I know that for many of you, it may seem a bit absurd that I'm talking about this after we built a church, after we built an orphanage for $105,000 in Africa. But the fact of the matter is, if we listen to these texts, God would say, hey, great job, but keep giving. We know that. We don't do just enough for God. Hey, God, you know, I told three people that they were nice today. Is that enough? I helped two people that were poor and an old lady crossed the street. Isn't that enough for you? And he doesn't operate that way. But here's the reality of that $105,000 orphanage. Only about half of our church gave to that. Now, here's the thing you got to know about me. I don't know who gives what. I don't know what names go where, and I don't know how much everybody gives. I never want to know. That is a shepherd's issue to to be concerned with. That's Ray Colesworthy's shepherding area. He cares for the stewardship, and the shepherds care for the stewardship. But what we do know is that when we paid the building debt down, about half of our church contributed to paying it down. And what we do know is when we paid for this orphanage, about half of our church contributed. And what we also know is that the people who carry the life of this church financially are the people who are involved in things beyond Sunday in the life of this church. And I think there's a correlation. See, because one's giving or lack of giving is just its just smoke. You understand what I mean when I mean smoke? It's a sign of a greater fire that burns within. Just like Agathias and the Macedonian Christians. Their willingness to give was just smoke from a fire that was kindled by the grace of God in their hearts. Because even in the Macedonian church's poverty, they knew that they would always have enough because God's grace is enough. And so that was the fire that raged within them that stoked the flame, that allowed them to part with their money for the mission of God. Here's some tough realities. The reason I'm being so blunt with us as a church is because about three years ago when we fell into some hardship financially, was it three, Ray, or four? About three or four years ago, many of you in the church requested that we always make sure that we let you know ahead of time next time before this happens. And so that's what we're doing right now, church. We're letting you know ahead of time. That when you look at our budget, we're about $10,000 in the shortfall year to date. And that if the same amount of giving comes in today as it did last week, comes in next week as it did last week, we will tap out every dollar of reserves we have in seven months. And we will be back at a flat line. And then we'll have to make more changes. Changes in terms of ministries and other things. That's the reality of the case in which we look at as a family. If you're visiting with us and you think this is weird, we are a family here. This is a part of the common life. And so we don't shy away from dealing with the common life. And if you can get to know us, you can know we don't give one fly and flip about big buildings and nice buildings and big this and big that. That is not who we are. What we care about is being faithful to the mission of God and making sure that the people of God are always cared for. And part of caring for all of us in our society, is to speak truth and love in regards to our desire to own things. I love you too much, and you've got to love me too much to just let me settle down and just continue to accumulate stuff and accumulate stuff and accumulate stuff without at least challenging myself to be generous in who I am, in my giving, in my time, and specifically in my finances. And I'm trying to be faithful to Paul's text to Timothy and say to us, to take hold of a life that is real is to take hold of a life that embraces faith. A faith that is willing to work itself out in genuine love for the good of the mission of God. A faith that is working to make sure that no one among us will ever have need. With our church budget, not only do we keep the lights on and keep the staff On staff. But we build orphanages. We care for orphans. We care for people living in poverty. We care for one another. We take care of our own here. Because that's what God's people does. There will be no one who eats a dinner alone during the holidays. And there will be no one who is ever dying alone in this church. There will be no one who is abandoned in this church because we are a family. And yes, finances are a means to that end. And so we need to consider within all of our hearts, the Ligon family included, and I'm asking all of you who claim to be a part of Williamsburg Christian Church, consider your tithes and offerings to God. Consider your faith. And the working itself out in genuine love and the trusting in the grace of God in your life. And be willing to test God with His love and His grace, trusting that His grace is enough. Don't feel guilty. Don't even feel obligated. Let the grace of God compel you. Consider what it is God has given all of us in our lives. Let it compel us so that we can be faithful like the Christians like Agathias and the churches in Philippi and the churches in Macedonia, so that we can trust that the overflow of God's grace is everything we need.